0: As you're seated, uh, turn in your Bible to the book of Acts. Uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 3 this morning. Uh, excited uh, to be looking at this passage of Scripture. We're going to look at all of Acts chapter 3 this morning. This is going to be a look at the first miracle that happened in the early church. Um, and I mean, I don't know what to say. It's a great passage of Scripture. I just can't wait to look at it with you. Um so, okay, so we've been studying the book of Acts verse by verse. We've been, you know, looking at these different uh, parts of chapter 1 and chapter 2. And now we've come to chapter 3. And And something that, that I think is important that I say is that this passage, it's what we need. You know, we, we live in a very broken world. Um, I know that we had a global pandemic... <laughs> And that's unique. Like that's not like happening all the time. But I know that sometimes when we think about the hard things going on in, in our world or our, our lives or our city, you might think, I, I think this sometimes I'm thinking, well, maybe it's always been this way. It's just like the internet and like the 24 hour news just kind of feels like it's more. I don't know. Um, we know that there's nothing new under the sun. The Bible says that in Ecclesiastes. And so maybe maybe that's it. But we also know that in the, in the last days, there will be more suffering and hardship. And so, so maybe it is getting worse. I don't know. I think you can analyze that to death. But here's what I know. It has been a hard season. Things are hard. Whether it's a shooting in our own city in Raleigh, or, or even our family yesterday went to the Christmas parade. And it was canceled because a truck hit a child in the parade. She died. And and things are tough. Times are hard. And I say that purposely, to bring that up very intentionally, because the passage of Scripture that we're looking at this morning in Acts, when we look at a miracle in the New Testament, we see that God hates suffering, that God is against suffering, and that that He and most of the miracles in the Bible relieve human misery and suffering. And they are a foretaste of the kingdom of God someday where there will be no misery or suffering. So this is an important passage for us to, to read and to, to bank our hope. So let's now read Acts 3. I'm going to read just through verse 12. The whole passage is through verse 26. We will, by the end of our time this morning, read all of these verses. But let me just start with Acts 3, 1 through 12, and I'm going to say a quick prayer. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. Stop. Let me pray real quick, and we're going to study this. God, we thank you this morning again. We come before you in prayer again, and we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for Luke, uh, inspired by the Spirit, to write the book of Acts, that we might uh, learn and be convicted and encouraged and challenged to be the Christians that you call us to be, to be the church that you call us to be. May that be the effect of today's time in Jesus' name. Amen. So we could have, I've read to you most of this passage now. We could have titled this message, um, The Danger of Lame Expectations. That would have been an option. We could have titled, Ministry to the Hurting and Broken World would have been good to title it that. A Mighty Miracle and a Mighty Message. That would be great because Peter, after verse 12, is going to really launch into a sermon and we're going to look at it together. Um, The First Miracle is an option. Uh, I share those only just to say that there are different themes in this passage that, that are important. The title that we're going to go with is Better Than Silver and Gold. And we're going to look at it through four points. And the four points this morning are the request, verses 1 through 5. The result, verses 6 through 7. The reactions to what happened, that's verse 8 through 12. And the real hero of it all, verses 12 through 26. So let's look first here at the request, verses 1 through 5 of Acts 3. I want you to look at these verses and understand what's happening here. We're going to try to put ourselves at the scene And feel all of the feelings and emotions of this interaction. So Peter and John, they're going up to the temple. That's in Jerusalem. They're going at the, it says here, do you see? It says at the hour of prayer, it's the ninth hour. That is 3 p.m. The ninth hour is 3 p.m. They did their time a little bit different than us. And so it's 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And they are going up to the temple to pray. That matters and a lame man from birth. So this guy has been lame, unable to walk, unable to move about himself, which means poor, which means unable to work, unable to provide for himself, which surely probably means single. I mean, this guy has been suffering his whole life, lame from birth. He, this guy, was being carried, verse 2, and they, the people who carried him, laid him, do you see it, daily at the gate. What does that mean? That means this is every day. This is an ordinary day at the gate in Jerusalem. This lame guy lying there, his friends bring him there. This is what it is. So he's at the gate of the temple. It's called the beautiful gate. And he's there to ask alms of those entering the temple. First thing that we see is that he sees Peter and John and he asks them, for some alms and then Peter sees him. In fact it says do you see in verse 4 Peter directed his gaze at him. Do you see that? Peter and John saw him. And I, and I don't want to rush past that because it's important. Why did they see him? Again this guy has been there every day his whole life, but they saw him and they stopped and they engaged with him and they sought to do what they could to care for him. Why? Well, part of why is that they were praying. Their minds and hearts were on the things of the Lord. And so they were able to see this man whom the Lord loves that the Lord wants them to care for. Praying enabled their seeing, and their seeing triggered their caring. And this is just so normal life, right? This is everyday life. People are either scenery, machinery, or ministry. This situation is so common. You know, the 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 interesting part about how it talks about that they saw him, that they fixed their gaze on him, that they told him to look at them, all of that, this picture, it just, it cries out for us to sort of put ourselves at the scene and feel it. You know, when you encounter someone who's asking for money, and we've all been in that situation, and even if you come to our church, you kind of have to go past some places where, you know, you might get asked for money. And the key, if you're not wanting to engage, is don't make eye contact. And for sure, if you glance, don't get locked into eye contact. And yet, Peter and John seemed to want that. Seeing Peter and John, he asked for alms, and Peter, it says, directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And so this guy fixed his attention on them. It says, expecting to receive something from them. Why did Peter say to look at us? I don't know. We can speculate. Perhaps it was just telling this guy, hey, focus right now. Focus. See us. Don't worry about the person that just passed and ignored you or the crowd of people that look wealthy that they might have something. Don't, don't get all distracted by that. You look right at us right now. Focus. Let, let, let's, let's, let's interact. Let's, let's interact. Calm down. Focus. I don't know. Maybe Peter was saying, look at me. Look at me. You know who I am. Hey, hey, I'm Peter. You know I'm the guy that's been telling people about Jesus Christ. I want you to connect that with what's about to happen to you. Maybe that's why he said, look at us. I don't know. Says he was expecting to receive something from them. Isn't that interesting in this interaction? You can almost feel it, right? You know, they, they actually stop and take the time to make eye contact with this guy. And he's like looking at them and they're looking at him. And he starts to get that look in his eye that he's, he's like, they're going to give me something. Says he was expecting something from them. I mean, what do you think he was wanting? What do you think his expectation was? I mean, he probably was just wanting enough to get a sausage biscuit. I mean, he he probably wasn't thinking much bigger than that. Daily, his whole life, lame, been carried to this temple gate. What's a good day? A good day is a lot of people give him some money. A bad day is The people that carry him to the temple sleep in and forget to bring him. I mean, I don't know. He's not expecting what's about to happen, but we should remember that this is a great, you know, spot to pause and just consider, you know, we often say things like, it's not the size of your faith. It's the object of your faith. It's not the size of this guy's expectations or hopes. It's just that he has some hope and some expectation and it's who's about to work powerfully in his life, Jesus Christ. That's what really matters. You know that Luke is writing this. The book of Acts was not written originally to Fellowship Raleigh or to us as individual Christians, right? It was written to the early church and you know that he's writing this account to them to challenge them to not have lame expectations of Jesus. Jesus can do miracles. Cast your burdens onto the Lord. He cares for you. He's, he's the great healer. So, the request, verses 1-5. through five. One other thing about this. Just consider, again, that this was a daily thing. This was this guy's life. This is the ordinary grind. This is an ordinary day, but what's different? What's different is that the church in Acts 1 and in Acts 2 has begun. What's different is that the Spirit has been poured out. What's different is that there are apostles and believers filled with the Spirit and on fire for Jesus Christ walking through the streets of Jerusalem. That's what's changed. And so an ordinary day encounters an extraordinary Christian. And we must take note of what happens, and friends, what should happen when the daily grind of our broken world comes into contact with a Christian who believes in the real and risen and knows Him, Jesus. That's the request. What happens though? That's our second point, the result. Verses 6 and 7. Verse 6, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold. Now, that's what we always say, right? It's like, I'm so sorry. I, I'd love to help you out. I just, I, I don't have cash. I just do ATM. Do you take ATM? Like, do you, do you take Apple Pay? Like, I don't know. Can we, right? Okay. He's like, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. In verse seven, and he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. There's a lot here in these verses. Look, first, Peter says this in kind of a bossy way. He's like, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, I'll give you. Rise up and walk. And those are in the grammar commands. Rise up right now and walk. How do you think this guy felt? How would he have felt had he not had faith to believe in Christ's power in this moment? I mean, he could have been so offended. Like, look, what are you? Okay, if you don't have silver and gold or anything to give me, Like, just just walk on past. What's with all this look at me, eye contact, gazing at me? Like, come on. Respect me a little bit and just keep going. Don't don't command me to rise up and walk. I've been doing this every day for my whole life. Easy for you to say, Mr. Walk into the temple and pray. Like, this is crazy. Peter, it says in verse 7, he took him by the right hand. You know, There's a lot here. This was a step of faith for Peter. And this is Peter's first miracle. Like, he's not like an experienced uh, apostle doing miracles, okay? First one. He has to believe. He's got to believe that Jesus is answering this prayer. He puts his hand out to the guy. That's faith about Peter. He's like... In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And Peter doesn't step back 10 feet. He steps forward and puts his hand out. He is willing to roll up his sleeves and help physically with his hands, help this man believe What Jesus has already done in his life, but doesn't quite have enough faith to obey Peter's command to him to just stand up and walk, Peter's like, that's okay. I'll put my hand out. We'll believe together. This guy has enough faith to let Peter grab his hand. So they grab hands. It's really a picture of both of their faith in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It's amazing. The result is amazing. Raised him up and immediately, verse seven, his feet and ankles were made strong. I'm pretty sure that this meant that he could dunk a basketball goal at twelve feet. I mean, his feet and ankles were made strong. Let's talk for a second about the nature of miracles, because this is a miracle. And miracles, uh, it is said, and if you read a book on you know theology or something, it'll say a miracle is a suspension temporarily of the natural order, right? So it's when things that happen in a certain kind of natural way suddenly happens differently. That's a miracle. Walking on water—you don't naturally do that. Like most people can't. Actually, no one can. Jesus walked on water. Whoa, that's a miracle a suspension temporarily of the natural order, a miracle. Now, most people believe in miracles. Um, I know there's a little bit of a sort of hint of anti-supernaturalism and some people think, oh, you know, that doesn't really happen. But most people can kind of get on board with like, yeah, I think, I think there's miracles. Um, so a miracle Suspension of the natural order. But one thing to think about, biblically, like as Christians who believe the Bible, one thing to remember with miracles is that most miracles in the Bible, many of them address human suffering. Whether that be feeding the 5,000, the suffering of hunger, whether that be you know making the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the mute to speak, the lame man to leap and walk and praise God, whatever those miracles are, most of them address human misery and suffering. And so it's not just that they are a suspension of the natural order. But we should say, as Christians who believe the Bible, that they are a suspension of the natural order as we know it in our fallen and broken world. But they actually, many of the miracles, are a restoration to God's created order. To what God desires and to what he originally designed. And that is important because the miracles in the New Testament show us, especially the fact that so many of them are miracles relieving human suffering, they show us that God is an enemy of suffering. They show us that God desires to, is beginning to, and will someday relieve all human misery and suffering. And so, and I was very helped by this sermon I listened to on this passage by Dr. Tim Keller. He says, miracles point upward, meaning that a miracle points up to God. It, it, it validates the apostles' teaching. What they're teaching, it points up to God and it says, God is on this. He validates this. Miracles also point forward. They point forward to the new heavens and the new earth and the kingdom of God when there will be no suffering and misery. The miracles point forward in that way. That's why this passage is so encouraging for us in a fallen and broken world. To see as Christians that the God that we believe in and that we know through Jesus Christ, he is against suffering. And there one day will be no suffering for those who have put their faith in Christ. So we'll see more about this. But that's the request, verse 1 through 5, the result, 6 through 7. And now the reactions, the reactions, verse 8 through 12. So we're going to see here the reaction, three different reactions. We're going to see the man's reaction. We're going to see the crowd's. And we're going to see Peter's reaction. So first the man. And his reaction, if you're taking notes, you could just write, is praise. It says in verse eight, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Listen, they're in the temple in Jerusalem. There is a bunch of Jewish people who grew up their whole life reading their Old Testament Bible crowded around this person right now. There's no way that they are not seeing this happen and thinking about Isaiah chapter 35. Let me show it to you. Isaiah 35 says that in the last days, when God begins to make all things new through his Messiah, that the lame man shall leap like a deer. In fact, it's the same Greek word that is used for leap. And so this man, when Luke tells us in verse 8 that he was leaping, that he was walking and leaping and praising God. He's saying more than this guy got healed. He's saying that this is of cosmic significance, that the kingdom of God is not only being ushered in by Jesus Christ, but through the spirit, through the church of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. And they knew it. Make a note that his praise, this man's praise was authentic And it was a testimony to the crowd around him. People need to see us praising God for the good things he's done in our lives. The crowd. The reaction of the man, the reaction of the crowd. And the crowd's reaction mainly could be summed up with the word wonder. Verse nine, and all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. So this is like the before and after, right? You see the, this is before I did my extreme diet. This is after, like, it's like they recognize him. They're like, wait, now that, that's, that's that guy. Oh, y'all has seen him before. We thought only Peter and John saw saw him, but I guess y'all saw him too. So this is that guy. And they were filled, it says, with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. There's a lot of adjectives here. Wonder, amazement, verse 11, utterly astounded. I'll show you a picture of the temple uh, area, and you can kind of see where the uh, beautiful gate is the sort of main entry uh, into the temple area. And you can see where Solomon's portico is, which is mentioned in this next verse, which is where they go to. So Peter and John, they do the healing at the gate. And then the guys leaping around and dancing and praising God and people are noticing and a crowd begins to gather. And Peter and John go over to Solomon's portico, which is a colonnade with columns. It's, a, it's also called Solomon's porch. He, they go over there. That's where Jesus had done some teachings. That's where the apostles would do teaching more in Acts 5. Here's the point. That's the location of their fellowship group, okay? Like that's, that's where they like did the Christian teaching in the Jewish temple it was over at Solomon's portico. So they're over there and the crowd runs over to them. It literally says in verse 11, while the lame man who is no longer lame clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded, do you see it? Ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. Make a note of their running. We have leaping, we have walking, we have running, we have a lame man, we have Peter and John. The miracle that Jesus performed through Peter and John. Much like when we love and serve people in Jesus' name, the miracle created an openness and a curiosity in well people to go and listen to the truth of the Bible from the men who helped the sick man interesting request result reactions one more reaction how about peter verse 12 and when peter saw it saw what no is when peter saw the crowd running toward him he addressed the people men of israel why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us there's a lot of talk about staring and gazing and seeing and it's interesting as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. Peter's like, hey, I do not, this is Peter, I do not have a Messiah complex. I do not think that I can help you. I do not enjoy feeling like I'm the one who can help you. I have the answers to your riddles. Come to me. I love to feel needed. Peter's like, no, 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 that's not me. I didn't do this. I can't do this. It's not about me. He must become greater. I must become less. Peter's kind of singing, not to us, right? Not to us. Like he's like, no way, not us. Watch this. There is no way that Peter is going to let this opportunity pass by without preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is going to awkwardly inject Jesus into this interaction. Um, Let's see him do it, which leads to our fourth point, the real hero. This is verse 12 through 26. The real hero. A quick slide just for you to see all the different names that Peter uses for Jesus in The verses that we're about to read, servant, holy and righteous one, author of life, Christ, Messiah, prophet like Moses, the offspring of Abraham. So Peter is packing it all in. He's like, this is going to be the chance. You guys are going to learn a lot about Jesus right now. Verse 12. So this is the real hero. Here's the point. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power and piety we have made him walk? Watch this. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. Stop. Doesn't it feel like he's about to say, he did this healing? Doesn't it? I mean, like totally, like it really feels like that's what he's about to do. Like it's building and they're like with him, and they're like, Yep, God of Abraham, God of Isaac. Like they're like, keep going, Peter. And he's like about to say, He's the one who did this. Like it really feels like he's about to say that. In fact, if you guys are skimming, which I know you guys do a lot of that, he you probably think he think he did say that. But what does he say? He do, he very unnaturally doesn't say that. And he very awkwardly introduces Jesus into the conversation. He's like, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, they're all like, yep, yep, yep. And he's like, glorified his servant Jesus. They're like, "What? (laughs) where did that come from? He's like, welcome to New Testament Christianity where you need to know about Jesus and we don't care if it's an awkward interaction when we bring him up. He said, Whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. Peter ain't playing. Like, he's like, Yep, yep, guys, this is what you did. Verse 14, you denied the holy and righteous one and asked. For a murderer to be granted to you instead of Jesus. He's saying, you guys, Pilate said, I want to release somebody. Pilate, in Peter's mind, wanted to release Jesus. And they're like, no, give us the murderer. Give us Barabbas. That's what you did, Peter's saying. It's so bad. Look at verse 15. You killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. Verse 15 is a glorious paradox that you will only find in the Bible. You killed the author of life. How do you do that? Whom God raised from the dead. He says, to this we are witnesses. Verse 16. Now he explains the miracle. He says, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Peter is saying there is an objective power of the name of Jesus Christ and that is what's responsible for this healing. And he is also saying there's a subjective faith that this man has in Jesus Christ that is responsible for making this man well. It's both. He says, in his name, and then he says, by faith in his name has made this man strong. Look at verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. as did also your rulers. It's interesting, isn't it? Peter says to them, you didn't know what you are doing. You're ignorant. And it's important for us to see this because we need to remember that lost people will think and act and talk like lost people. They don't know that's what the word ignorant means. They don't know. We've got to tell them. And when I say lost people, I don't mean irreligiously lost people. I also mean religiously lost people. He says, you you acted in ignorance. But here's the interesting thing about the ignorance. The ignorance that Peter Acknowledges, and it's because of their ignorance, I think, that Peter wants to engage them. He's not done with them. He's not like, well, away with you guys, you killers of Jesus. Get out of here. I'm done with you guys. We're going to the Gentiles. No, he's like, you didn't know. And so I'm telling you. But it's interesting that even though Peter acknowledges that they acted in ignorance, he still, in verse 19, calls for them to repent of their sin. And so ignorance is not in the last and final day an excuse for not putting one's faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 19 says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Do you see that? Repent means change your mind. He's pleading with them. He's saying, all right, you guys saw this healing. You're impressed. You want to know how it happened? I'm telling you, it was through Christ and you need to change your mind about Christ. Whatever you think about him, you need to understand that he is the suffering servant. He is the holy and righteous one. He's the author of of life whom God has raised from the dead. He's the Messiah. He is a prophet just like Moses that we're supposed to listen to. Just like you guys love to listen to Moses. He is the offspring of Abraham who has been sent here to bless us that we might bless the world. He's like, you need to change your mind. That's what repent means. You need to change your mind about Jesus. And then he says, and turn back. Literally, he's like, you are the lost sheep of Israel. You're the people of God who have turned away from God. You've turned away from the Son of God, and you need to turn back to God. It's really a picture of repent and believe. Turn back to God and trust in His name. What happens if you do that? According to verse 19, what happens if you repent and turn back by faith to God? that your sins may be blotted out. This is the offer of the gospel, that we're sinners guilty and we deserve condemnation. But God has made a way for our sins to be blotted out. How? For sure not by good works but by the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you and me on the cross. Look at at how this verse continues. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Verse 20, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. What a verse. For sure, Peter's referring to the Holy Spirit that's been poured out. He's saying this too can be for you. Repent, turn back, have your sins blotted out. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Experience refreshing from the presence of the Lord. He's telling people that in the temple, so near to what they thought was the presence of the Lord. verse 21 whom or or look at verse 20 that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the lord and that he may send the christ appointed for you jesus and you think well wait i thought jesus had already come by this time what's this about well he's talking about the second coming of christ verse 21 whom heaven must receive that's the ascension until the time for restoring that's the second coming all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Verse 22, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And Peter's telling them, Jesus is that prophet. Moses told you to be on the lookout for a prophet like him, Jesus. That's what Peter's saying. Verse 24. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and the covenant that God made with your father saying to, now he's talking about Abraham. And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That's a quote from Genesis 12 he's saying, God, having raised up his servant, that's Jesus, sent him to you first to bless you. The Genesis 12 blessing. By turning every one of you from your wickedness. I mean, (laughs) Peter is crazy about Jesus Christ. In the sermon that he already gave on the day of Pentecost, He talked about that when David was writing in the Psalms about one whose soul would not see decay, that he was actually prophesying about the risen Christ. He talked about that David was prophesying about Jesus being Lord. Now he's talking about all these other sort of riddles in the Old Testament for which Jesus Christ is the answer and key. The point is that Jesus equals everything. To Peter... To the whole Bible. Peter really gets it. You know what I mean? We, we say at our church that our mission is transforming religious and irreligious people through the gospel into passionate disciples of Jesus. And then we talk about with what is a passionate disciple. And one of the five marks of a passionate disciple is that a person gets the gospel. Okay. And what we mean by that is that that they get it, like that the light bulb has come on. You know, like when you're when you're buying like a drink, a soda from a vending machine and you put your money in but it doesn't come out, you're so frustrated. And you start shaking it and you do like a knee to the side of it, right? And you're like, come out. You know, like the the penny has dropped, the light bulb has come on. It's clicked that's what has happened to Peter. He gets it. He gets the gospel. He's not just walking around, bobbing his head, singing the worship songs at church, being religious. No, he gets the gospel. And so now it's all about Jesus. Jesus in every conversation, Jesus in every page of the Bible. It's all about Jesus. He gets it. The real hero. So as we close, And I want to conclude with two observations sort of from this whole passage. The first one is this, and I think it's actually really important. Did you notice that people who can run need the same thing that the lame man needed? And somehow they know it subconsciously. Peter knew it for sure, because he told them, what you guys need is to repent and turn back to the Lord, have your sins blotted out, experience times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. What they needed and what we all need is really something deeper than the physical healing that this man wanted. In fact, if you really think about it, there are a lot of people walking around that can walk that are miserable. The key to life, the key to happiness is not walking, though certainly a lot of suffering was alleviated by this man being healed of his lameness. But the key to life is something deeper. And that's always the case, isn't it? Probably the thing that you and I think, if God will just do this thing, then I will be it probably won't really do it what peter offers this man and what we really need what our hearts really need is something better than silver and gold it's the gospel of jesus christ it's refreshing that it comes from the presence of the lord it's having our sins blotted out the second observation in our conclusion would be that we are called by this passage to go and do the same as Peter. We are called to see those who are suffering. We are called to seek to relieve suffering, however we can, and we do not have Peter's gift of healing as he had it as an original and unique apostle in The third chapter of Acts, for sure, probably, though some of us may have healing gifts, but not like Peter. But it doesn't matter. We are called to go and do the same, to relieve suffering however you can, and to give people the gospel even at a cost to ourselves. Because it's going to cost Peter. Peter and John are about to get arrested in chapter 4 for this. It cost Jesus to come and to relieve all human suffering. It cost him his life on the cross. Will we go and do the same? That's the challenge that Luke is giving to us as a church from this passage. So let me close in prayer.